step into our lesson for today. And uh, it's going to be on the series that we're doing entitled Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree. And uh, we've been focusing in this series lately on cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do. Last week, we took a break from the cringeworthy things and we did what I called a supplemental. And we looked at the historical context of Jeremiah, his life and times, and all the world events that were sort of swirling around in the background. And then from there, we kind of took a deep dive into the final five kings of Judah. And if you were here last week, you know that I couldn't get any further than the first last king, first of the five of the last kings of Judah, because I'm so in love with King Josiah. He's my favorite king in all the Bible and one of the, my favorite characters. We ended up just spending all of our time on him. So the supplemental has turned into part two of a supplemental on that we started two weeks ago that we were forced to, forced to get into to cover some of the background information. So thank you for those of you that allowed me last week to totally geek out on history and the context and all that, because it is one of my most favorite things to do is to get into that stuff. Um, but this week, what we're going to do now is we're going to continue the supplemental and we're going to examine the last four kings of Judah. And we're going to take a deep dive into these guys. And I'm going to warn you now. My custom is to generally stay in one passage of Scripture and not leave it. Well, today that's going completely out the window. We are going to read a ton of Bible today. It's going to feel a bit all at once, and it's going to feel a bit disjointed. And that's totally okay. I understand because I'm going to bounce around. What I want you to hear is this. We're going to tell a complete story. And we're going to stick to the narrative, and any time I bounce to a scripture, it's really just to add to the main theme of the story that we're going to be going through today. So don't get too caught up in the, the constant like reflections back and forth to different scriptures, if that's okay. Don't worry about that too much. Just follow the story of the last four kings of Judah. Now, I like to start off always by doing something where we can connect. And so I thought for today, I'm going to test your knowledge of what we learned last week in our supplemental. And I do have a gift. My wife, if you could grab it, it's on the seat behind you. I do have a gift for whoever we deem the winner. I don't even know if we'll be able to decide who the winner is. I didn't really think this through all that much. But the idea is... That And you're all winners, let me just say that on the front end. But, but the idea is, I just want to see what you know and what you've picked up on in the last uh, week of our series, and even a little bit before, I mean, we've been, we've been on this for many weeks now, and the winner will get a lovely little package here of homegrown figs. They're incredibly sweet, and they're incredibly ripe, so they got to be eaten like today. But they're very, very good. So let's start off with the first question. And I'm hoping that I'm starting off easy for you. But I know there was a lot of information last week. So who here, and you can just blurt it out, can remember the name of the region in the Middle East that was so coveted in Jeremiah's era? What was that region called? 
It wasn't Kansas. Somebody had their head, uh, hand up in the back. The Fertile Crescent. That is correct, sir. If these weren't as ripe as they were, I would throw one to you, but it would probably splatter all over the place. All right, next question. Who can remember the names of the three empires that were fighting for control of the Fertile Crescent? Ooh, right here. Egyptian, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. Very, very good. Who knows of those three which came out as the most dominant in Jeremiah's day? Yes. The Babylonians. That is correct, sir. I'm really not doing a good job of figuring out who's going to win. So at this point, I'm just going to guess and throw you some figs, okay? Next question. And this is going to be tricky. We'll see who gets this one. What were the dates of the two key battles that ended in, that ended in Babylonian control of the Fertile Crescent? Go for it. Come on. You're the intern, Kyle. You got to take a chance. You said 648 and 606 BC? The second one was close. The first one was nowhere near, but that's okay. Anyone else? All right, Assyria uh, defeated, I'm sorry, let me back up. Egypt was defeated by Babylon in 605 BC at the Battle of Carchemish. And, and uh, I'm spacing now, sorry. Assyria? No, 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 hang on. <laughs> And Assyria had defeated uh, Samaria in 722. And so uh, those were two key battles that led ultimately to Babylon. Assyria defeated the, 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 the tribes of Israel. And then later, Nin uh, Babylon defeated them at Nineveh. And then they defeated Egypt at Carchemish and took control of the Fertile Crescent. Sorry about that. All right. Here's another one. Might be a little easier. Who was killed in 609 BC at the Battle of Megiddo? Josiah, the king, he was killed. The king of Judah was killed at Megiddo in 609 BC. All right, now let's see if you listened to the sermon last week. Here we go, last one. Name the four key people who at key times influenced King Josiah to be the good king that he turned out to be. Who were the na names of the four key people? Yes. Never mind. Okay. His grandfather, but what's the name? It wasn't Hezekiah. It was actually his great grandfather. Yeah. King Manasseh. King Manasseh. We got Hilkiah. Hilkiah, who was what? The high priest. And then his dad. And I don't know. Well, Manasseh was his dad, or his was his grandfather, not his dad. His dad was Amnon, and he, he died. So you've got two of them. Who can remember the other two for the win? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. There's one other. There's one other. Yes. The prophetess Holda. That is correct, sir. You get to win. Did you say Holda? I didn't hear that. Did you? Jordan is the winner. 
Come and get your fig. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're very ripe. Trust me. Congratulations. Well, it's good to know that we were listening and paying attention and kind of getting some of these dates in our mind. Let's go to God in prayer before we jump into the lesson. Father, it is amazing that we come together uh, every Sunday to worship you and to grow in our faith and to love each other. And it is such a blessing to be a part of a church family that does that every week. And it's all because of you. I pray that your spirit is with us as we look into your word now. Help us to be inspired by it. Learn what you want us to learn and walk out of here renewed in our faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we talked about the life and times of Jeremiah and we mentioned that they are among some of the most important and best documented in Old Testament history. You have a map up there of the region known as the Fertile Crescent and in Jeremiah's day there were three empires who were vying for control of that stretch of land and it was Egypt, it was Assyria and it was Babylon and ultimately Babylon prevailed in the life of Jeremiah and it was during his year, 80 years of life that he witnessed these three empires go back and forth ultimately ending with Babylon becoming the most dominant at least for the next three generations or 70 years. First was the Egyptian Empire. They were the, most, they were the oldest and the most uh, long uh, uh, present in the area. But then the Assyrian Empire was extremely dominant at the beginning of Jeremiah's life. And then it ended finally, as I said, with the Babylonian Empire. Then we focused our thoughts on, okay, that's what was going on in the world. Those were the geopolitical stuff that was happening in the life of Jeremiah. And we wanted to narrow ourselves down to, okay, what was going on in Judah at the time and specifically with their kings. And we first talked about King Josiah, lived about 640 to 609 BC. He was king for about 31 years and he was ultimately killed by Pharaoh Necho in the battle of Megiddo at 609 BC. He clearly is my favorite king and one of my favorite characters in the Bible to study. And we learned a lot about the kind of person uh, uh, Josiah was. So for our second part of our supplemental, I'm going to turn our attention now to the last four. Those are the ones under Josiah's name on the, on the graph above. And we're going to begin by focusing on his youngest son, a man by the name of Jehoahaz. Second Chronicles 35 says this, The other events of Josiah's reign and his acts of devotion in accordance with what is written in the law of the Lord, all the events from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, son of Josiah, made him king in Jerusalem in place of his father. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. The king of Egypt dethroned him in Jerusalem and imposed on Judah a heavy levy of a hundred talents of silver, and a talent of gold. The king of Egypt made Eliakim, a brother of Jehoahaz, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Eliakim's brother Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt. So after good king Josiah dies in 609 BC, his youngest son Jehoahaz was made king and he reigned for only three months. Now there's not much we can say about Jehoahaz because there's not much in the record, but he was apparently popular enough among the people to be named king ahead of his three older brothers. Jehoahaz had four sons. The first one's name was Johanan. 
He's never mentioned again. He's just mentioned as the oldest son of, jo of, of uh, Josiah, and we never hear from him again. I don't know if he died. I don't know what the situation was, but we never hear about him again. Then followed by Jehoiah was followed by Eliakim. That's the one who Nico changed his name to Jehoiakim, and he replaced the king, the youngest son, who was on the throne for only three months. In between them, there was another brother named Matanyahu. He's also known as Zedekiah. We started talking about him two weeks ago. And then finally, the youngest son was named Shalom. That was his birth name. And Nico changed his name to Jehoahaz. Jeremiah chapter 22 is an amazing chapter. And if you get a chance, go back and read it. But it's Jeremiah's perspective on basically the last few kings of Judah. And it's not a very pleasant picture of what he thought of them. And in this, he mentions Shalom or Jehoahaz, this, this young son of Josiah who reigned for only three months. And this is what he says about him. For this is what the Lord says about Shalom, son of Josiah, who succeeded his father as king of Judah, but is gone from this place. He will never return. He will die in the place where they have led him captive. He will not see this land again. Verse 17, your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. That was Jeremiah's perspective of Jehoahaz and his short three-month reign as king over Judah. Obviously, this is not an, as much of an indictment of his leadership as it is of his character. Jeremiah was personal friends with Jehoahaz. These people knew each other. They interacted. He knew his four sons. And in 23 years of life, this was Jeremiah's estimation of the kind of person Jehoahaz had become. You know, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, last week, we talked about key people at key times that had a significant impact on Josiah's character and faith. But I want to mention something that we didn't talk about last week, and that is that Josiah himself was a willing participant in his own maturation and growth as a good king of Judah. I am not a farmer. I have tried to grow things in a garden at home a few times in my life. Maybe many of you have tried as well. The most success I've ever had was with tomatoes. Of course, they grow like weeds, so it's not very complicated to grow tomatoes. Now, my brother and my brother-in-law, they have amazing gardens, and they grow all kinds of fruits and vegetables. As a matter of fact, after my vacation in Italy last uh, earlier this year, I brought back seeds so that they could plant uh, various uh, Italian vegetables that we grew up eating, and they grew them, and they're amazing, and we've had them already. We've eaten them. It's awesome. The key difference between me and my brother and my brother-in-law is they are willing to put the work in. They're willing to take the time to make the soil good so that something grows. I, on the other hand, dig a hole in the ground, plop the plant in, and hope it lives. You're on your own, buddy. Let's see how you can do. <laughs> It's pretty much my planting philosophy. Good character, like Josiah's, doesn't just happen. Don't get into that trap of thinking that I'm just not like this. 
I'm just not like her. I'm just not like him. I, it has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the work you're willing to put in to become the person that you want to be. Josiah was willing and we knew what his life story was. He did not live, grow up in the best of environments. He had an extremely evil grandfather who, when you read about him in the Bible, it says over and over how evil Manasseh was. Now, yes, he did repent at the end of his life, but his own father, Amnon, was just as evil. And yet Jehoahaz turned out to be a good king. And yes, there was good influences in his life. But Jehoahaz, I mean, but Josiah was a willing participant he was willing to do the work on his own life, in his own character, to become who he had become. It's amazing to me that his son, his youngest, Jehoahaz, grew up in a good home with a godly father and wasn't willing to be the person that God wanted him to be. Or that his own father wanted to be, he wasn't willing to till the soil, to do the work on his own heart. This brings us to the second, or the, I guess in this case, the third of the last five of the kings of Judah, a man by the name of Jehoiakim. Now, as it turns out, Jehoiakim was not much better than his brother Jehoiakim, Je Jehoahaz. Even though they grew up in the same home with the same opportunities, both of them turned out to be quite evil in God's eyes. In fact, Jehoiakim was especially difficult to deal with for Jeremiah personally. Let's read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 5 through 8. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple there. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did, and all that was found against him are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him. So Pharaoh Necho kills Josiah at Megiddo. And apparently in those days, when you were victorious over another king, you not only had the right to name the next king, but you could also rename him as well. And in both cases, Necho renamed the, two, the youngest and the second oldest sons of Josiah and gave them different names. In this case, in the first case, it was Jehoahaz, and in this case, it was Jehoiakim. It was during Jehoiakim's reign that Nebuchadnezzar defeated Necho at Carchemish. So four years after Necho had this great victory and became dominant over Judah and was able to appoint who their king was and then remove him and put a new guy in place, his pro-Egyptian guy. He marched on up north to Carchemish to face Babylon, and he was defeated there. And so he was hightailing it south, out of the Promised Land, out of the Fertile Crescent, all the way back down into Egypt. Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar were close on his heels, and of course, as they passed through formerly Egyptian-conquered ter territory, it became currently Babylonian-conquered territory. And so when Nebuchadnezzar got to Judah, he invaded he besieged the city, and he had every intention to take Jehoiakim away with him off to Babylon and appoint a new king. But Jehoiakim 
disavowed Egypt. He was formerly an ally of Egypt, and he disavowed them. And he swore allegiance to Babylon. And in doing so, he saved his hide. And so Nebuchadnezzar let him remain on the throne as a vassal of Babylon. Amazingly, a few years later, Jehoiakim realigned himself with Egypt. He reneged on his vow to Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar invaded a second time. And this time he besieged the city and he killed Jehoiakim. If you go back to that passage, I'm not going to go there, but in Jeremiah 22, it says that when Jehoiakim died, no one mourned for him and his body was just thrown outside the city and he laid there like a dead donkey. Jeremiah 36 says this, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Verse 21, the king Jehoiakim sent Jehudi to get the scroll. Jehudi brought it from the room of Elishama the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. Verse 23, whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king, Jehoiakim, cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. Jeremiah tells us that during his reign, Jehoiakim neither shared his father's character or his love for God's word. In fact, on one occasion, Jehoiakim took a very early draft of the scroll of Jeremiah. He cut it up and burned it. He burnt God's word. Instead, of letting God's word burn inside of him. One of the tragedies that you're going to see again and again in the final four kings of Judah is how little attention they give to God's word. They treat it as if it's not important, yet we know how important it really is. How much attention are you giving to God's word? I want to thank the church for praying for me. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I'm in a season of difficulty. It has nothing to do with you or my family even. It's just a situation. There's circumstances kind of swirling around me. They're outside of my control. It's been wearing on me quite a bit. But I can honestly say that although I'm not doing great, and I can't uphold myself as a great person of character because I have been angry and I have been bitter and I have been resentful and I have been frustrated all the time. I can say this, that I've been reading my Bible an awful lot. You may have saw me huddled up with the uh, worship team before the sermon I was asking them if they would be willing to redo the whole worship set so I didn't have to preach. 
because I was so moved by the worship of God. Seeing young men on their knees, other people standing and raising their hands, it was just so comforting and so beautiful. I'm so grateful that this church loves God like that. I'm so grateful that we have a worship team that tries crazy ideas and lets me talk them into turning the lights down and lets me talk them into extending the worship set so that we can let people connect to God because I don't know how you came in today, but I know we all sometimes come in in a season of difficulty and there's something incredibly powerful, incredibly comforting about singing praises to God and worshiping him and listening to his word. I cannot say that I'm going to preach an amazing sermon. I've probably spent, I don't know, close to 20 hours in this sermon. And you're going to go, well, that was it for 20 hours. And that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, that's the best I can do. But it didn't matter because I needed the 20 hours in God's word. I hope that you are paying attention to the word of God. That it's an important thing to you that you put the proper amount of time and you give it the proper amount of attention because it could be the difference to you between life and death. It's the difference between staying as you are and becoming something better. It's the thing that's going to carry you through seasons of difficulty. I don't always do that. I'm not holding myself up as someone. Every time I go to God's word, I'm not saying that. I am doing it now, though. Praise God. And I hope that if anyone here is listening, and maybe you're having a great time, you're thinking, hey, life's good. Awesome. Be in his word. Give it the proper time and attention it deserves in your life. Jehoiakim didn't. He tore it up and he burned it. I wonder sometimes if that's how God might think about us when we neglect spending time in his word. This brings us to the, what is this? Number one, two, three, the fourth of the last five kings of Judah, a man by the name of Jehoiah Chin. So after his father, Jehoiakim's death during the siege of Jerusalem, his son Jehoiachin was made king. And if you notice on the graph, he's not a son of Josiah. He's actually a son, a grandson of Josiah, the son of Jehoiakim. Second Chronicles 36 tells this about him. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and 10 days. So he beat his uncle out by 10 days. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon together with the articles of value from the temple of the Lord. And he made Jehoiachin's uncle Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. There we go again with a winning king able to appoint whoever he wants and giving them different names. Jeremiah tells us that he did evil in his short three months and ten days. And eventually he was taken as captive to Babylon. I'm going to skip now to a book called Second Kings. It's basically a re, it's a basically covers the same ground as Chronicles. There are two accounts of the kings of Israel and Egypt. 
and they're basically, uh, uh, they're compatible accounts with each other. So they basically say the same thing and they give different insight, but they do give some different insight. 2 Kings chapter 25 says something very interesting about Jehoiachin, who only reigned for three months and 10 days. And I want you to see it because I find it fascinating. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year of Albal Marduk, or his name was also Evil Marduk, became king of Babylon. He released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He did this on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. By day, day by day, he gave king, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. It's a really fascinating story that he was taken after only three months back to Babylon as a trophy. He was replaced by his uncle. Matanyahu, who they changed his name to Zedekiah. And he was taken by Nebuchadnezzar back to Babylon and he was put in prison. But 37 years later, he was released and he was allowed to live in a position of prominence in Babylon. There's even language in some of the ancient writings that call him the king of the captives. He was given this status of authority while he was in captivity. Now here's what's really cool. Between the years of 1899 and 1917, right before World War I, there was a lot of archaeology going on in the Middle East, especially in Iraq. And a guy by the name of Widener discovered some talents, I mean tablets. And on the tablets, Jehoiachin and his five sons were mentioned by name. And it said that they were on the permanent um, uh, food list, food distribution list of the king evil uh, how do you say his name? Evil Marduk. Here's, here's what I find fascinating. Here's my point. Not only is God's word the place where we need to go and we need to sit in and give it its due justice and let it do its work in our lives, but God's word can be trusted. It seems like every day, every month, every year, new evidence gets surfaced about something we've read in the Bible validating what the Bible said happened. Sometimes we live in a world that says, well, it's all story and it's not to be believed and at best take it as a story. And there is a lot of truth to taking the Bible as a story. It is a story. But that doesn't mean that it isn't real and that it wasn't rooted in history and in real life and that it didn't happen. And here we have archaeological evidence of Jehoiachin, his five sons, being held captive in, in uh, Babylon and being freed and on the permanent uh, guest list of the king's uh, food table. Fascinating. God's word never disappoints. It absolutely can be trusted. It's a tragedy that we don't believe it as much as we really should. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. We're finally at the final king of Judah. The one we began this series, the one that sparked the supplemental two weeks ago. And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. 
hid evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people came more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nation uh, of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. So after Nebuchadnezzar invaded and he killed Jehoiakim and his son replaced him as king, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not keeping that family line intact. And he took the son away with him off to Babylon where he was lived out the rest of his days. And he replaced him with the third son of Josiah, Metanihu, or the given name that, he, that, that they gave him was Zedekiah. He ruled for 11 years. He was evil in God's eyes, and he was not a friend to Jeremiah like his father was. Ultimately, his leadership resulted in faithlessness and a return to idolatry even among the priesthood. Now, two weeks ago, we learned that in the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign, he ignored Jeremiah's advice to wear the yoke of Babylon and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar who invaded a third time. And in 586, he completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He burnt the temple down to the ground. People wonder, where is the Ark of the Covenant? This is when it was gone. Might have even been before this, but Babylon had a great way of just taking stuff, and now it was theirs, and it... Who knows what happened to it? Melted down, shipped off, whatever. But it's all gone. All this glorious articles and all this glorious, uh, the, all the, all the, all the uh, furniture in this glorious temple of God, the Solomonic temple, the one built by Solomon, one of the seven ancient wonders, seven wonders of the ancient world was completely destroyed. And Nebuchadnezzar led away most of the population of Judah, of Jerusalem, away into captivity into Babylon. This is what Jeremiah 22, that great chapter where Jeremiah explains how he felt about these kings. Sorry, not, not Jeremiah 22. This is what 2 Kings 25 says about Zedekiah. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed his sons before his eyes, and then they put his eyes out and bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. The last thing he saw was the death of his own children. Brutal stuff. And it could have all been avoided had any one of them followed in the footsteps of their father, Josiah, had any one of them been a willing participant in the growth of their faith and maturation, if any one of them had embraced God's word as life-giving and trusting, it could have been avoided. This represents the end of the kings of Judah and the nation itself and of the Davidic line. Good, great King David. This was it. This is where it ended with the death of Zedekiah. 
This also brings us to the end of our supplemental. So I have a question for you. And please shout it out. What have you learned from the last four kings of Judah? That God is king. God is king. Evil doesn't pay off. Evil doesn't pay off. To uh, not be stiff-necked. To not be stiff-necked. Somebody said surrender. What else? God's word is key. God's word is key. One more. Yes. Obey God. Follow the patriarch. I want to close and give you my answer. And my answer is going to be found in Jeremiah 24, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's not long. But it's really a great ending to the supplemental and really a great lesson to learn from these kings. Jeremiah 24, verse 1. After Jehoashin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the skilled workers, and the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Lord showed me Two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very bad figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the bad ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Jeremiah is very observant. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Like these good figs, I regard the good exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up, and I will not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me and that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Amen. Verse 8, but like the bad figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, the Lord, says the Lord, so will I deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah. His officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt, I will make them aberrant and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, a curse and an object of ridicule. Wherever I banish them, I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave them to their ancestors." Growing up, my grandmother, she's Sicilian, she used to say that there's two kinds of people in this world, Sicilians and those who want to be. In Jeremiah 24, God says something very similar. But instead of Sicilians, he says there's two kinds of people in this world, good figs and bad figs. What have I learned? Don't be a bad fig. We're going to stand. We're going to close out with a word of prayer. You'll be dismissed. Next week, I'm going to be taking a break from preaching for a time. I need a break. We're going to invite Dave Lawson from the Valley Church. He's going to come out and preach to us next week. Really looking forward to that. Our worship team is also taking a break. So we're going to do another prayer service where we did a, a few a while back where we just focused the whole worship time on prayer and we'll we'll work that out and make that very meaningful we are a church that prays
And then Dave will preach to us. I'm also very excited to let you know that the week after that, I've invited in all the way from New Delhi, India, a friend of mine who leads the church in New Delhi. He happens to be in town. I talked him into coming up to see me and staying with us. And he'll be preaching then, and I can't wait for you to hear him. He's a, he's a riot and a really great guy. Then we have another guest speaker after that, and then I'll be back on my regular schedule. But I want to encourage you in those next three weeks to really enjoy the change of pace. Take a break. We've been in Jeremiah for weeks. It's intense. There's a lot of intense language. Sometimes we need a break. This is the time to take the break and enjoy just a couple of other ideas. And then we'll come back to Jeremiah and I'll pound it into your head some more until we walk out of here knowing Jeremiah inside and out. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that you've moved my heart and the hearts of everyone in here to be receptive, to be willing. I pray, God, that we look for those in our lives that you've given us who might be willing and receptive to your word. And we pray for them. We invest in them. We invite them and we prepare ourselves to be the best Jesus we can be to them so that they can know what we know. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your overshadowing of our lives and leading us through whatever seasons we might be in. I'm so grateful to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.